So me just writing that goal. And so I decided, okay, I was going to pay up debt. And I I came back, I created like a debt payoff plan. And then two weeks after that, making that decision, I got laid off from my job that I was doing. So that was kind of like, that was the, I think that's what like kept me going. So being in that position, having over $47,000 in debt, not having an emergency savings, not being like, not even knowing what I was going to do. Like, I was just like, I drove and like, I had no emotions for like two weeks. So being in that position of just that, that fear and that dread and that just, I was like, okay, like you are your safety plan. So you need to create something so that you, even if you lose your job, like you have something, you have a backup plan, you have a safety net. So that was what I think kept me going, just fear of being in that position again. And like. What's good, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 83 of Highly Invested, where we invest in ourselves, talk about personal growth, and we ask entrepreneurs, high performers, and content creators about the best investments they've made in themselves that help get them to where they are today. So today on the show, we have Eduek from Two Sides of a Dime on Instagram. Eduek is an engineer by day and a wealth instigator by night who started her debt-free journey in 2019 and paid off $47,000 of debt in under two years. So along the way, she created a podcast and Instagram account to creatively document and share her journey, which has helped her build a community of 7,000 followers. So we learn about her story, when she decided the debt needed to go, and how she went about eliminating it so you can potentially do the same. All right, Eduek, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm well, thank you. So we're speaking with the content creator behind Two Sides of a Dime. Firstly, what is a wealth instigator and why did you choose to be one? Actually, I've been kind of playing around with different, I would say, catchphrases. And I think I've gone through a bit. At first, I was a finance enthusiast and then I was a finance BFF. But (laughs) it was kind of like cliche and common. So I was like, oh, what's going to make me stand out? And just kind of like leaning towards what my goal is with my page, Two Sides of a Dime. For me, I see myself as someone that I'm trying to break the mold of what people think finances should be and how you should build wealth. And I'm just trying to show people that it's not just that one-sided way where it's um, either you have to have an inheritance or you have to have rich parents or you have to be like from a third world country or like whatever it is it's not that that people think so there's so many other things that they could do and I just try to like have difficult conversations as well um when people say that you only need you can only use debt to build wealth and I'm just like but you can totally have wealth without any debt and just so like those are the kind of conversations that I try to have like those conversations that spark um, people to think and kind of like controversial yeah. and things like that so um <laughs> good well it's showing yeah, so like, the, I just want people to just sit down and think about okay like I've been thinking about this this way maybe if I try this other thing it's going to work for me so that's the whole oh it's good it, it's original <laughs> it's something I haven't seen but yeah no I mean it's it's so easy to people to cling to an old belief or an old story that they've held on to and all they need is a second perspective or a third perspective. Yeah. And I mean, if you want to look that far, there are way more perspectives than that, right? It's, it's how deep you're willing to look. Um, mm-hmm. On that question, then, I, it's, it's one I had for later, but what, uh, what have you learned is the biggest difference between being wealthy and you know, having a lot of money? Hmm. So far, I should say, on your journey. Yeah, for me, my definition of wealth is not about having a lot of money. Yes, money is a factor, but... I mean, if you're content with the wealth that you have, like you don't have to have a million dollars. You could maybe have $50,000 in your bank account and feel very wealthy. It's about being content with where you are knowing that what you have currently is enough for you. And I'm not saying that you should just settle, but you can always try to build more and have more. But knowing that those having more is not going to satisfy you more or make your life any better. It's just something nicer to have 
So being content and I also consider being in good health as well, because it's very important to be able to enjoy the money that you have and yeah, enjoying the life that you have, enjoying the work that you do. You can totally be working a nine to five job. I know people think that if you work a nine to five job, you're a slave or something, but it doesn't matter what you do. You could be working for yourself. You could be working for someone else. You could be not working at all, but as long as you are completely satisfied and you know that you are your life has a purpose and you're serving people in that way so that is my definition of wealth it's definitely not about having a lot of money yeah no it's great it's finding meaning and then I think just once you know what your like base values are it's much easier to find your desired target of wealth as opposed to just you know a large sum of money that it's like what would you do with it if you got it oh oh well (laughs) (laughs) just make more wealth I guess (laughs) Well, they, you know, they'd spend it, right? And it's like, well, the hardest part is once you've gotten it, like, apparently that's the hard part. Well, apparently getting it is easy if you can stick to it, but then the hard part is keeping it, right? Kind of thing and then yeah. growing it. But mm-hmm. um, cool. Yeah, well, no, I, I like that tagline that you've, you've made for yourself there. Now, um, I did have a question though. So uh, being from a warmer climate, does going from winter to spring and like getting to come out of hibernation just lift your spirit that much more? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I am not, I don't like being in the cold. I don't like being cold. If you come to my house, it's like, I don't either. It's like boiling all the time. Yeah. 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 So I definitely like, but I don't like the sun though. So that's the, that's the other thing. Like, I don't like being in the sun, but I like when it's warm outside. Right. Right. Okay. Um, So yeah, like, I feel like everyone else, we just love, you can never get used to the winters here in Canada. It's just always a shock for you every single winter. Yeah, it's brutal. (laughs) Like, you get to February and you're like, oh my god, how have I gotten this far? But it's Uh, it's sort of a feeling too, though, when when spring does come, you know, I'm not sure if you're living in a, uh, if if anyone living in a climate where you you kind of have nice weather all year round, so you can always go to a patio and you can always be out to celebrate we're yeah. like yeah it's... I mean like back home it's not always sunshine like there's like sometimes it rains for days and days and days and days and then you can't do anything Does and it? then when it's hot it's like super hot and humid and you're just like I can't do this so that, that's the thing like people think like being from a warmer climate you're just like oh chilling and be on the beach all day but it's it gets really hot and really humid and really uncomfortable like you can be at home, have the AC on, and you're still hot. Yeah, so, <laughs> it makes sense. It gets well, really uncomfortable. I don't know about Toronto, but I think it's going to be sunny for the next week. And so it's just like, makes you oh, happy to just, there's light outside. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Good. Yeah. And so like a year ago, just ironic how a uh, like, lot has changed for a lot of people. And did you experience or did you have to adjust to a lot of sudden changes uh, and how did you end up adapting just to uh, the Rona situation last year well thankfully for me not a lot changed I mean except like for everyone just being at home and trying to get used to like not being able to do a lot of things that you want to do but um, personally in terms of like my my work situation I think initially when the pandemic started we had this little scare, like they reduced our work hours and then they're like, oh, we're behind on everything. So you all need to come back to work. So that that was for only like a couple of weeks. So in terms of like financially, it didn't really affect me that much. And um, I'm an engineer. So a lot of the work I have to do, I have to be present there. So I haven't been working from home. So I've been going into work. So for me, I feel like I just maintain my lifestyle. I am yeah. a typical homebody, so I don't go out. So it's just like I go to work, I come back. So to me, it's just like life is normal. <laughs> right. Not much has changed. And then not much wanna... has changed. <laughs> Fair enough. And so did did this have anything to do with you starting off paying down your debt, or were you well uh on your way to doing that as that sort of happened? So I was already hold on. No, pandemic started last year. Yeah, so I was already halfway through my journey. And well, if nothing's open, you can't go buy stuff. So almost. Yeah, so already I was like living on nothing, nothing basically, because I had like 
really really strip down my budget so right, right. I I was already used to not spending money so when the pandemic started I was like oh this is the perfect excuse to not spend money <laughs> and just keep paying down my debt so that really actually helped me even um funnel more money towards my debt because like now there's no temptation I don't feel like I am like depriving myself of anything because there's nothing to do with money so I think right. it actually really helped me just stay focused and just pay down and just throw everything towards the debt good well you had the habit right and so it yeah. yeah it worked out that way yeah I was already paying my debt for almost like a year plus and then the pandemic started so that was just the last push that I needed to just get it all out of the way good good well you know yeah glad you managed to pay that off and so what year did you end up immigrating to Canada from Nigeria it was my early 20s I don't know if I remember the exact year you don't but... remember the year that's a big move <laughs> um honestly like a lot of my beginning years in Canada were a little bit fuzzy just because fair enough yeah I think on <laughs> it was it so stressful it. for me oh well, I, I can imagine I've got yeah. more questions because it's it's not an easy <laughs> thing to do uproot your life and go somewhere completely different like yeah like when courage. I moved a lot of the immigration laws are not what it is now like a lot of people have it a lot easier like we had to wait six months before we could start working and even if you're working you had to like your work was tied to your work permit there's just you couldn't get a job if you didn't have like there are just so many things so I was like doing like three jobs just to get by because I could get a proper job so yeah like that's like one of the I guess the struggles of immigrating and but yeah I actually moved to Canada to go to school so that was my main reason okay nice a lot of people ask me this question so I'm just gonna answer like people ask me why Canada like there was absolutely no reason I was just like okay where's a good place to go that's okay well I I went to go teach English abroad for for a while and the same thing I just chose one country at one point just because it was an option like yeah I was actually looking at like universities with the best engineering program like I had three options between the United Kingdom Canada and the U.S. I think I applied to a couple of schools in the U.S. I applied to a couple of schools in Canada uh, and the U.K. so I got admissions in the U.K. and Canada the U.S. I never heard back from them. (laughs) Rather be in Canada anyways. And then um, I heard back from Waterloo and they were like oh you've been accepted and I was like okay I guess it's Canada then my sister lives in the UK and she was like oh don't come here oh no okay I guess it's Canada then (laughs) well at least you'll be in two different spots so you can go visit each other on vacations I guess yeah I think with the UK it's even much much harder as a student to like work and stuff so it would have just been easier for me to come to Canada so good yeah well, I mean, I'm I'm glad to be from a country that's fairly open to immigration because I know how yeah. important it is, you know, for for diversity, growth, and you know, bringing people in. So it's it's great, and it, yeah, it, like a lot goes into it. It's 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 a story, and everyone has their own. So it's like, yeah, the process and how long. Like, I, I know this is tough to think of on the spot, but like, how long did the entire process of, for paperwork and approval take? Can you remember? Oh, don't even get me started. So Canada is one of the most difficult countries. Oh, Ironically. Oh my really? gosh. Canada is so hard. That's what people don't, people don't understand. When people see me, they were like, oh, you just came to our country. But like, <laughs> right. it's, so hard, though. it's not like <laughs> it you land. So yeah. like I said, when I came, it was a lot harder. So the whole process for me, I would say it's been almost as long as I've been here. Because um, right. first of all, when you come in, you come in with a study permit. So you need that before you you even move so I got that before I I moved here and so that does that require going to like the Canadian embassy uh, back home yeah so you send your application and then you do all the things that they ask you to do and then I moved here and then so after school so when you move after six months you're allowed to work but you can only work certain hours and you can only work um I think with the school I think a lot of that has changed now. And then after school, you get based on the length of your program. And then depending on the school you went to, you get a work permit after school. So the work permit was um, for me, I think it was three-year work permit. And then now they have like the express entry system. But when I came, they didn't have that. So I had to 
apply right. through what they call a provincial nominee. So I applied to Ontario and then they select you. And and it's pretty expensive too. I think it was like two grand when I applied. So really? that process yeah. took like a year and a half for me to get the nomination. After you get a nomination, then you apply for your permanent residence. I think the permanent residence took about another year and a half to get that. And then after your PR, you have to wait, I think, um, five years to get your citizenship. So right, official. I had to wait for that. And then when you apply for citizenship, it's another close to a year for you to get like um, approval or like the certificate of confirmation. Right, right. So yeah, it's been a journey, but I'm finally a Canadian citizen. So good. <laughs> Kudos to you, honestly. So yeah, it's been a long process, but like I don't regret moving here. It's been it's been pretty good for me, yeah. I, I think. Yeah. Well, and and so yeah, as a, as a place to start your career, what are some of the things you like most? Um, it's very interesting. It's very challenging. It does keep me on my toes in terms of um just being innovative. <laughs> And we do have to solve a lot of problems in the job that I do. So you're always trying to figure out like why this is happening and try to fix it. So it's very like, I do love things that keep my brain active. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Probably why I chose to be an engineer. It does keep me busy and um, yeah, it's, it's a job that I like. And the work that we do is also rewarding as well. Good. And so what field of engineering are you in? So I went to, okay, I went to school for chemical engineering, but that thing, I've not worked as a chemical engineer because I did plan to move to Alberta because I wanted to go into the oil and gas. Okay. When I was graduating was when the whole crude oil crisis started and all of my friends that graduated before me were getting fired from their jobs. So I was like, okay, maybe not. (laughs) Let's look for something else. So I applied to a bunch of companies and I got hired um, for one of the big automotive companies. And I was like, okay, we can do this. And then since then, people just started hiring me for automotive jobs. And I just kind of just stuck, got, I would say not stuck, but that's kind of what I just ended up doing. So currently I'm a product engineer for um, a technology company. We deal with automotive sorry autonomous vehicles so we make a lot of the electronics that go to um autonomous self-driving. like self-driving cars yes so nice so that's the work that i do and it's it's a really fun job <laughs> yeah good well as long as it keeps your brain busy and it's, it's stuff that you can kind of go back yeah. to and, and keep working on that's fun just want to go back a little bit to your life back home can you tell us a little bit about life growing up in nigeria what were some of your favorite memories growing up there? Obviously, it's quite contrasted from Canada, but mm-hmm. for my listeners, they're kind of worldwide. So personally, what are some of your uh, favorite memories of it? Favorite memories is uh, a hard one. <laughs> Not is because there... I didn't have good memories, but... <laughs> Give us your personal touch of it. Yeah, because, you know, from someone who's, whose home it is. I mean, I grew up in the big family. There's There were six of us, plus my parents. And um, it was just like I feel like any normal home my parents they really instilled having a good education for all of their kids they made sure that we were all sent to good schools they paid for all of our education and so I think that was like the one of the strongest values that my parents had great and um I mean being a kid and just being able to be free and express yourself and I went to a boarding school. It was an okay. old girls boarding school for my high school. And a lot of my friends that I, I'm still friends with, that's where I formed a lot of friendships, like, because it was like our formative years, I would say. I think one of my favorite, I was just thinking about this the other day, I think it was raining outside. And I was just thinking as kids, how we would like go outside naked and just dance in the rain. <laughs> and now I'm just thinking like in Canada, you probably can't do that. If your kid probably do, does that, they'll probably arrest you. You get but arrested, you, you get some neighbors complaining. Yeah, like... Yeah, because it was really, it was a really hot climate. So whenever it rained, yeah. it was like, oh my gosh, like we just run outside because the cold rain was just so refreshing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was just 
something random that I just remember. <laughs> Are there any other parts of like the culture that you miss that you don't get to do in Canada or anything like that? Oh man, I miss the food. Obviously, I miss stuff um, so bland here. Like, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned it, not me. <laughs> oh no, I, 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 I'm well aware of yeah. it too. I miss um, just having that. Um, I guess that freedom to do whatever, like. Well, is that more of like just being young, I guess you would say too, is like just not having responsibilities and stuff? Yeah, I think so because um, most of my responsibilities started when I moved here because I was (laughs) by myself. So just being there and not having that responsibility, I guess, um, living at home, having that freedom. Good, yeah. I've got another question to to go on top of that then. So just back to your family. Um, What was the consensus or attitude around money? Like, did they... Was that something you guys talked about or that you were taught about growing up? Because you yeah. mentioned your parents taught you a lot of good habits. Was was money one of them? Um, unfortunately, money was not one of those <laughs> habits. So I don't think money was something that was ever talked about. Like, like I said, we, I grew up in a really, I would say a big family. So there were mm-hmm. six of us. And for us, money was always tight. I didn't grow up in a poor home or anything. We're pretty comfortable, but... I feel like my parents just had enough for like the basic stuff. So we didn't get the luxuries that some of the kids that I knew in school had, like um, right. expensive vacations abroad and things like that. Like none of that happened, but we were well taken care of. We were well fed and well clothed and had like, I think the things that were important for us. And um, I know like for my mom, every single time you asked her for anything, like, oh, mom, I want to go buy something in the store. She's like, I don't have money. Like you can never ask my mom for money and she has money. Like she literally always never has money, but somehow money always comes out from her purse. So you're just like, (laughs) like one second, she doesn't have money. The next, like she's coming back with like a trunk full of groceries and you're like, hmm, I thought you said you didn't have money. Must so have like, caught on and come up with some tricks. A lot, yeah. Right. Growing up was just like, there's no money. There's no money. There's no money for this. There's no money for that. So anytime I had to like make any decision that I knew was gonna cost my parents a lot of money, it was something I had to think about like over and over again. Like, right. there's some things that I would just be like automatically like I know the answer is gonna be no, so I don't even bother asking. Like if I wanted like a, a new toy, for example, um, it's very expensive. I'm just like, okay, I know this is gonna be a no, so like there's no need to ask. But right, and did you have yeah, any so... any jobs growing up there, like um, before moving moving to Canada for school? Yeah, so I I I I did a little bit of um a co-op back home. Like I worked at a refinery, but um a lot of what we did, like I don't think most people work and go to school like they have here. Like like for my parents, they're like, oh, focus in school so that you can like graduate with like good grades and right, right. like let that be your focus. Like we'll like provide whatever you need, like to feed you, clothe you, whatever, but just focus on school. Like you don't have to. Yeah, try to get a fair. job and go to school at at the same time so sounds, well sounds like you had some pretty great parents as well but and I think even as a parent probably your goal is just like if your kids never have to ask about money then and, and you've got enough to provide yeah. for them then you're good but then yeah. like, I guess when you get older you're like would have been nice to learn a few of those tricks younger on or at a yeah. younger age right yeah Cool. Oh, um, and so so now you have started taking your talents onto Instagram. So what inspired the name Two Sides of a Dime? Um, I guess we covered um, this a little bit earlier, but did yeah. you come up? Uh, how did you come up with that one? So Two Sides of a Dime actually started with me and a friend. It started with a podcast. So we were both starting our debt-free journey. And Oh, nice. Um, so we were just trying to show um the two sides basically to show that you don't really need um a high income or be frugal your whole life to be able to succeed financially so I was supposed to I was considered the spender and she was a frugal one so a lot of the things that we talked about was like my me also trying to pay off debt and achieve that financial freedom and still keep a lot of things that I like and she's like I'm the frugal one and I'm still like able to do this as well. And so that was kind of how two sides of a dime started. So yeah, now it's just also showing like, for me, I'm always trying to show both ways. Like when people say, um, like I mentioned about debt, some people say um, you need debt to 
to build wealth and I'm like okay well there's that side but there's also the other side where you don't really need to have multiple credit cards or multiple lines of credit and multiple mortgages for you to build wealth right it's like pre-authorized transfers a lot of people forget about those just the different little (laughs) tricks and strategies yeah And so you teach women how to ditch debt and build wealth, uh, especially after eliminating 47,000 of debt in 20 months yourself. So what type of debt did you have to start off with? All stupid debt. (laughs) It was all consumer debt? It wasn't all student debt? All consumer debt. So, okay, I had, I had, I said, when I started, I had about 17 left in my car. So that was like half of it. So uh, my car was like 30 something when I bought it. Really stupid, but. Oh, yeah. and would you, would you buy a car again <laughs> or a brand new one off the lot? Um, if my net worth was at least $2 million. Yes. <laughs> you, you've got some guidelines to, to put in place. Yeah. <laughs> I do like, I do like nice things. Like I said, so <laughs> if I could, if it's not going to make a dent in my wealth, then yeah, I can do that. Good. It wasn't yeah, all for so nothing. Had, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Um, yeah. So I had the car. What was left was about 17. I had about 18,000 between three credit cards. Um, I had a line of credit for about 10,000. And then I had a couple personal loans and one of my accounts was in overdraft. So I was like swimming in debt, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, glad that you you saw the light and just decided to start <laughs> chipping away at that because I mean that, yeah. that's high interest stuff that can really add up so yeah I I ended up like just in the 20 months that I was paying off my debt I still paid off over three thousand dollars in interest so if I I think I there was one time I can't remember I think I posted it a while ago how much I had spent on interest during the life of like having those debt and I was just like ugh this yeah. is like makes me feel very nauseous <laughs> thinking about it <laughs> good well, I'm sure you yeah, got people don't, people don't even out. factor that in like we pay a lot of money in interest and right. we have like, one of the highest interest rates in Canada for like any kind of credit that we have so yeah I mean I think the consumer credit rate is the interest rate's almost criminal that's just not right mm-hmm. anywhere but yeah and I mean the amount of money that you saved starting when you did that's another good example of just like where that where it can cost you uh hidden in the lines and then so when did you when did you have that like eureka moment that it needed to go when did you decide it was like okay this is enough we're gonna start getting rid of this yeah for me it was um okay so i had just traveled to greece and i was on the plane back it was a long flight and i think that was the year before i turned 30 i was supposed to turn 30 in i think less than six months so I was just thinking about my life, you know, <laughs> As, <laughs> I had nothing Oh my gosh, to... whenever you're coming right? back from vacation on the flight. <laughs> you're just like, I just had a good time and I'm like, okay, what next? You know, when you feel like, okay, I feel like I've gotten to the stage in my life where I'm like, I feel like I've achieved a lot of things I wanted to achieve. And I'm just like, right. okay, what, what's the next thing for me? And I was just like, okay, you're about to turn 30. You have nothing to your name you have nothing to show for it you have a successful career but like you have nothing to show for it so for me it was just like that self-reflection and so I started writing down like some of the things that I wanted to I guess achieve by the time I turned 30 I was like okay I'm probably not going to be debt-free by 30 but I want to be in a position where I know I am more um, in control of my finances basically right right so me just writing that goal and so I decided okay I was going to pay off debt and I kind of, I came back I created like a debt payoff plan and then two weeks after that making that decision I got laid off from my job that I was doing so that was kind of like, ball. that was the I think that's what like kept me going so okay. being in that position having over $47,000 in debt not having an emergency savings, not being like, not even knowing what I was going to do. Like, I was just like, I drove and like, I had no emotions for like two weeks. Cause I was just like, what's going on? Shit got, <laughs> shit got real. <laughs> like I couldn't even cry. I couldn't even process my feelings. I was just like a zombie for like two weeks straight. Right. And so being in that position of just that, that fear and that dread and that just like, what are you going to do? Like, I don't have that luxury of like moving home to my parents' basement because my parents are like in another continent. So it's going right. to take me 
a whole process to like move back home. So I was like, okay, like you are your safety plan. So you need to create something so that you, even if you lose your job, like you have something, you have a backup plan, you have a safety net. So that was what I think kept me going. Just that fear of being in that position again. And like, my job is very volatile. Like I work in the automotive industry. So we have our, our peaks and we have our lows. So just knowing that, okay, like I'm ready for anything that happened. So, right. Yeah. And so when you lost that job, did it take you long to find another one? Or like, do you typically get, uh, do you find contract work where you're on for say three months or six months or something like that? Hmm. So I've been very lucky that, um, I think I, I lost the job in October and I already got by the beginning of December I had gotten a new job but I wasn't supposed to start till the next year so okay well at least you had that though right to keep going into the new year it took me like about a month because I I I got let go like the very end of October so it was like a month of me like finding a job and then I got one so Okay, good. Yeah. Um, And so, well, as someone who's taken that large negative number by the horns and prevailed and gotten it down, what were some of the the biggest lessons that it just taught you about like well-being, feeling like, or maybe Mm -hmm. removing stress? Did did it change how you felt about, you know, being in control as opposed to having that money control you? Oh, definitely. Um, uh, It's definitely such a relief to not have to stress about money. Like I've never been in this position in my entire life. Like growing up, like I I wasn't really stressed about money, but I always heard that constant saying from my parents that money was tight. So like, I never felt like there was an abundance of it. And me like moving here. And like, when I started working, I was like, oh, now I have all this money. I'm just going to spend it. But like, I wasn't doing myself any good. So, and I always like, even though I knew that a paycheck was coming, I still felt stressed about money because I knew that like I was spending everything that I was making and even more because I was getting into debt. Right. So now that I like I have a plan, I'm in control, like I know, like I've like projected even to 17, 15, 20 years <laughs> over. So like being so much in control is just so relaxing. Like now I know that like if something comes up, like I can take care of that. Like I'm not stressed out about things anymore and if I want to go on vacation I'm like okay what is it going to take is it five months of saving is it one year of saving like I can do that before I would if someone told me oh like let's go on a trip I I was that freaking out like I can't I can't afford it I can't afford it I can't afford that but now like if I think about something that I want to do I just like okay what is it going to take like now I know how much I save every month I'm like okay it's just going to take me three months and I'll be done I'll be able to save for that so being able to be in that position, it's so rewarding for me. It's, it's that peace. And for me, that was like my biggest why and just not ever having to stress out about money. Good. Yeah, it's it's a very nice obstacle to uh, to overcome and, and not have that added, any of those added worries. And so what was your uh, approach to it? How did, uh, I know there's a lot of different ways, like the mm-hmm. different snowball, I think, what is it worth? Watch any of his that snowball, the dead avalanche. Oh yeah, avalanche and snowball, the the two yeah, different so sort of. I created vibes. mine, and I call it the dead tornado. Okay, okay, <laughs> so tell us much, more. Whatever that that makes you angry the most, just get it out of the way. So for me, I think the biggest one for me was so I had like um a store credit card, so that was like a financing thing. So that one was right. a, like a no interest, and it was like twelve hundred. So that one was easy to go. I think the next. The next biggest one for me was my credit card because that one was like the one that I hated the most. So I really, really plowed at that. And then because that was like about 18,000. And then after that, I went over to my line of credit, which was like 10,000. And then I got rid of that. And then I moved to my car because that had the lowest interest. And it was also the highest amount, not the highest, second highest. So I didn't really follow either the snowball or avalanche. And the reason why I was able to do that, because I had already, um, I think, developed the discipline that I needed to pay off debt. For a lot of people that are just starting out, I still advise them to start with a snowball just because that momentum you get from just getting rid of the small debt, it usually helps. But for me, I already had a well laid out plan and I was like, I was dead 
stung and like getting rid of that debt. So I knew that it was going to work for me the way that I was going. So I was just like pulling and grabbing whatever I wanted to get rid of and just getting it out of the way. So I wouldn't really call it like a plan, but like it was my plan. Well, so. your, yeah, your, your strategy. Everyone's going to have their own strategy. Um, and then do you use any specific tools? Like, are you a, a spreadsheet person? Spreadsheet. Or... I'm like, <laughs> I got spreadsheets for days. <laughs> and so what do you recommend for people that aren't necessarily talented with spreadsheets? Uh, oh, like, do, man, do you have any resources on your page? Or like, what do you recommend for people that hard. aren't? Because <laughs> that must be tough, right? Like, I'm stuck on spreadsheets. Like, it's so hard for me to recommend anything else. Like, right. people message me like daily, oh, what apps do you recommend? I'm just like... I have a spreadsheet for you, though. It's going to help you. <laughs> do you have like a YouTube channel or something where you do spread, like you show people how to set up a uh, different spreadsheet outlet? No, I don't. Online? I should probably do that. But... You should consider that because at least if you're, yeah. if you're building it and people can follow along, not a bad idea. Yeah. So I have mostly used spreadsheets. Like I've tried apps. Like I, when I started um, <clears throat> back in the day, like learning how to budget, I mm-hmm. used to use paper. But um, the thing I found was that I used to lose track of like what I was doing and it takes a lot of like, I don't know, it was just not working for me. So right, right. for me, it's just being the spreadsheets. Like I can put in my formulas, I can change things around, I can do projections. It's just so easy. And for me, I'm very visual. I'm a very visual person. So even right, right. with my budgeting, like I do a lot of like, percentages I do a lot of charts just to like give me like I can just open my budget especially and be like okay this month you spend a lot of money on clothing so that needs to stop like next month like it's it's very easy for you to just visualize it that way um, yeah. I know a lot of people use YNAB a lot of people re- recommend it so and then Mint is another good one that people have I used Mint back in the day but it wasn't working for me so I think those are the only ones that I I know of but nice for me, it's the spreadsheets. So. Yeah. So, you mentioned discipline too. I think that's really big. And I think that just mm-hmm. requires starting and, and sticking to it for a little while. Oh, yeah. You have to have a goal. So right. for me, like even even though I'm debt-free, like I still set goals for myself. I set savings goals. I set investment goals. I set like, today I want to spend $50 less on groceries. Like that's a goal. So you right. have to keep setting goals. Like you can't just put your money and just run with it. Like you have to have active goals you have to be intentional with what you're doing with your money else you, it's just gonna get out right. of your hands why <laughs> yeah you well that's the you get to delegate the meaning right you're like oh mm-hmm. i don't want to put my you know i don't want to use my my dollars to, to to spend on that it's just like you don't have to explain your choice to anyone if you don't want to spend it oh, or no. if you do right and too, too often people think that they have to follow yeah. along or go with the crowd and stuff now so well when you did hit your debt-free goal then what happened is just like then you realize you have the habit to start building positive net or positive wealth. Yeah. So one of the things that pain of debt does for you is that it builds that discipline because right. for a lot of people, it's not easy to just sit down and start because you're paying for stuff that for me, like a lot of things that I paid for, were like already in the trash, like they were like in the garbage. I didn't even know where they were. So you're paying for your right. past. So for you to have that discipline to say, Oh, okay, now I have this debt, but I'm going to steal because it's mine. I'm going to take that responsibility and pay it off. It takes a lot of discipline. And once you have that, I think it stays with you, especially for those that have really high debt. Like I've seen people with like six figure debt. If you're paying like a hundred thousand dollars in debt, it's going to take you a while. It's going to take you a couple of years to get through that. So those two years of you consistently put in a certain amount of money towards your debt, it creates that discipline in you. And I think it stays for me, after paying off that debt, like, I think when I was paying off debt, I was um, using about, I think, 30 something percent of my income was going towards debt because right. I still had minimum payments. But now that all my debt is gone, like, I am at like 40, almost 50 percent of my income going towards savings because I'm just like, if I have given these credit card people and all these other people so much money, why right. can't I do that for myself to grow my wealth? So like that's the mentality that kind of stuck with me. And for me now, I feel like, I think for me, I feel like I'm pressuring myself because I feel like I'm behind and I'm like, oh, like I spent all this time, like not saving. So now like 
especially now that you know so much and like I said I do a lot of projections of like I see oh if I was 25 when I started investing I'll have so much money now so like I'm trying to like double and triple that amount that I'm supposed to be saving just to play catch up but it's fun because for me that's like that's what is keeping me excited because I I have a goal that I'm working towards like before when I was paying off my debt I already started putting like how much I wanted to invest I started picking out like the investments, the things that I wanted to invest in, because for me, I wanted to wait till I was debt free before I started investing. So I already started doing all of that. Like I didn't wait till I was debt free before I was like, oh, now what? Like I was like, after paying off that, I knew I was going to save my emergency fund and then start investing. So all of that plan was already laid out even like almost a year before I was debt free. So as soon as I was done, I was like, okay, now let's do this. (laughs) Good, good. Yeah. Well, it's, it's such a milestone. And then I think most people would be like, well, you know, do we celebrate at one point? But then you're like, well, the celebration is now the fact that you're, (laughs) you get to invest. Yeah. Yeah. Great point to get to. And then, so using Instagram as a creative outlet, uh, what Mm -hmm. you said, you're also a visual learner. So do you find uh, Instagram is a great place where you were able to learn a lot from other people. And then, you know, you've really enjoyed being able to to get on there and teach others yourself. Mm-hmm. Instagram has been a great resource. Like when I started the two sides of a dime Instagram page, it was just like as a follow up to the podcast, I had no intention of being a finance creator or whatever you call it these days. But when I started, that's when I found that there were so many other people doing the same thing. And like, when I had my, on my personal page, no one was talking about finance. Everyone was just trying to show off their right. wonderful life. And then there are those people that are like, oh, I'm only spending $50 in groceries. Oh, I'm driving this really ugly car because I'm saving. And I'm just like, where have you been all my life? Like, I no shame like I too. I love it. My tribe because I could like talk yeah. about my debt. I like there was no one that I was talking about my debt to in my life apart from my friend that I had a podcast with. And so it was so freeing. So it started as that, like, for me, it was more of an accountability page because I feel like a lot of people that were paying off their debt were doing the same thing. Yeah. And from there, it was like a lot of people messaging me and saying, hey, like, I'm like, I I really love your journey. Like, I'm learning so much from you. And I'm like, wow, like this, I could actually inspire people by doing this. And that kind of just birthed this, like, desire. And I guess this passion for me to just keep talking about it. And the more I talked about it, the more I saw that I enjoyed it. So I was like, okay, you know what? We're going to make this a thing. <laughs> right. How nice is that? You're like, I'm actually having a great time. And like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually right. really fun. Like, honestly, it's like, I enjoy it so much. And the fact that people can actually, you're doing something that is going to impact someone's life. Like, I'm not just out there saying, oh, buy this stupid thing you don't need and use my discount code. Like, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm telling people like, how to save, how to pay off that, how to build wealth. To me, like that's valuable content. Yeah. And it's, yeah, your storytelling. Yeah. When, when you help people, I feel like you feel so much joy. And to me, like that, that's really what it is. Yeah. That, that's another thing that helps you keep going once you've started. It's really helpful. And you mentioned that you're more of a visual learner, but I can just tell from your page, uh, mm-hmm. your content's very nice visually, very visually. <laughs> yeah. feeling, so. Honestly, especially with finances, I struggled a lot because a lot of the books that I read, there's just so many words and so many numbers and you're just like, it doesn't make sense. You but can only you take so many facts. So much jargon, especially when you're learning about investing. There's just so many, like too much. Like I don't need all that information as a beginner investor. I don't need to know all that stuff. Just give me like the basics, the five, like the, what I need to know, focus on what I need to know for now. And yeah. then as you grow. So for me, like just seeing the pictures and seeing like, okay, you need like, what is an ETF? It is a basket of stocks. Like, that's all it is. Like, don't even go, don't explain anything now. Don't talk about MER. Just right. Well, people it. overcomplicate it, right? So much. I know. Well, so that brings me to the next question. So were you an investor before starting Two Sides of a Dime? Or was it like, okay, let's get the debt down first. And then you would, can, then you'd go about opening up like the tax-friendly account. Did investing come along that same journey? Or did it come once you finished paying it off? Well, I, I mean, I did a little bit of investing when, like, before I started paying off debt. And, okay. like, I had, like, a group RSP or whatnot. I wasn't too serious with it, but I wouldn't, I would not call myself an investor at that point because I was not, most of the things I was investing in, I had no clue what I was doing. Right. So, <laughs> I so was were you just looking at stuff and be like, okay, <laughs> this looks good. So, <laughs> did you just. 
Did you have an employer matching your RRSP yeah. contribution? And then it was yeah. set up that some company was doing the asset management for everyone there. Kind of exactly. Thing. So okay. that, that's what it was for me. And so there wasn't, I had no knowledge of what I was doing. I was just randomly picking investments and that was it. Right. But it seems like now you ventured into, uh, you know, the territory of opening up your own TFSA. Yeah. So now like I'm all DIY and just, it's been so much fun because like you get to, like you get to live with the consequences of your decision. <laughs> but, but also like how much more you just learn even a little bit more every day. Right. And it just makes yeah. so much more sense. Yeah. And, and a lot of people ask me, like, I don't know where to start. I'm just like, just literally buy rubbish, buy whatever. Like, even if you have like $200, just buy whatever rubbish you have. And that's how you learn. Like for me, a lot of my learning has just been from like, just doing stupid stuff and just like, okay, let me try this. I'm like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Maybe let me try this other thing. And then go figure out what type of rubbish you bought and then (laughs) then learn that way. And then even with, in terms of like, um, what kind of risk tolerance you have, a lot of people say, oh, well, I'm, very conservative or like I'm high risk and I can I have a high risk tolerance and then like I'm gonna put like 90% stocks and then the stock market goes down and they start panicking I'm like you never know until you start like if you can watch like 50% of your investments go down and you're like fine with that then maybe you can be a high risk investor and they're like well I can't watch 50% go down like then maybe you should like dial it down a little bit yeah yeah (laughs) you never know until you start yeah, it depends how much you're investing in too. But then it, it, I think it's just when when you don't have that community or someone that mm-hmm. you can speak to, especially when the market just takes a quick dive, like you just need someone that you can that can talk sense into you. Like, hey, it doesn't matter. It, you know, the price today does not reflect why you're invested for you know ten years, twenty years down the line. Yeah. So um, I feel like a lot of people don't have that, especially in Canada, where I feel like a lot of people are not talking about investments. A lot of people that have investments either have it with their company or some mutual fund advisor that they see once every three years. So they don't even know what's going on. So I think it's good that we are starting to form this little community where like you can just be on your break and then there's some dude talking about investments and you can be like, oh, what is he talking about? Like, okay, that what he's saying makes makes a lot of sense. And you start to learn, right? And I feel like, that's the message that we need to keep going with because there are not a lot of people talking about it in Canada. There's still a lot of people that don't know a lot about investments and people are making all kinds of bad decisions because of that. Like with information you win. Right. So I think it's really great that we're doing what we're doing. And I like try to encourage everyone that's doing it to keep going because like you are making a difference in someone's life and you might not even know it. Yeah. And, and ex- exactly. It just starts with a little bit and getting messages from, from someone saying like, oh, hey, you've, you've helped me start this journey. And once they see the numbers work and really just how not a big deal it is yeah. <laughs> every day, you know, you don't need to look at it every day. There's no point looking at it every day. Sign, you know, mm-hmm. sign in when you're ready for it. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And then, so last one, before we do the main question that I want to end off with, um, you, uh, you've done a few posts about different, uh, one, two or three fund portfolios. So do you just, mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about, um, just how simple investing, how, how simple you discovered investing can really be? Yeah. So one of the things that I, I've been talking a lot about is ETFs and ETFs. I'm just going to say this for benefit of those listening, because I know you know what it is already. They're just basically an ETF is a bunch of um, stocks just jumbled into one. So a lot of people, one of the biggest reasons they don't invest is because they don't know what stocks to invest in. They don't know what stocks, because there's just so many, there's just so much out there. Like, do you choose Apple or do you go with um, Amazon? And even with those, they have really high barrier of entry because their stocks are priced so high. So for those that don't have a lot of money, you can't even own stocks in those companies. So ETFs, what they do is they make it really easy for you to own stocks because now like they, they figure out, okay, what are the good performance stocks? And they buy them and they tr- try to track an index. So what the index is, is if we're talking about the 500 um, biggest companies in say America, like, okay, we're going to buy all those companies and we're going to put them in this fund and we're just going to make people pay a small fee, like 0.3%. And you can own a little share of those companies. 
So um, one of the things that I talk about is knowing what that ETF represents. So for example, some of the Vanguard um, ETFs, there's like the one fund one, which is like the, the example is the VGrow. So what that VGrow has is it, it has four different um, ETFs with different asset allocations. So it would have an ETF that is representing the whole of the US stock market. It would have an ETF that is representing the whole of the Canadian stock market. It will have another ETF that represents the whole of uh, international stocks. And then it will have one that you're buying basically all bonds. So when you have that one fund, you're basically, I don't think you can go wrong with that because you're well diversified. You own stocks in the, you basically the whole world because you're talking about North America and international and then you have bonds to kind of balance it out so like with the one fund portfolio you just need to buy that one fund that's all you have to do and you're set you're set for life just keep buying and growing your portfolio like that's how easy it gets and then with the two part the two fund portfolio so basically you're looking for a fund that has equities in it all equities and then you want a fund that has either all bonds so it depends on you like for some people they want to hold bonds for some people if you decide that your risk is high enough and you can just have equities until you get older and then you start to adjust all you need to buy is just that one bond fund one equity fund and then if you want to balance it out with a bond you can decide if your say if you're um high high risk tolerance you can go 80 percent equities and 20 percent bonds so one of the all equity etfs i think is the veqt and i actually own that too so you just buy it's 80 percent vqt 20 percent vab which is the, the bond fund and right. that's right. it that's literally it like the other day i was talking to my friend and she was like oh like she bought like a bunch of like random stocks and I was just like, okay, why did you buy this? She was like, oh, some guy on the internet recommended. Of course. <laughs> she was like, oh, it's not performing well. I was like, I have been talking about ETFs like for long and you just went and bought a bunch of random stuff. I'm like when you, like VQT has, I think 12,000 companies that it owned that are in that fund. So right. you're, you have 12,000 shares of companies like what more are you looking for? <laughs> it's diversified for you already. Yeah, exactly. What else are you looking for? So like with the, I love like what a lot of these companies are doing, like Vanguard and like, we don't have a lot. We just have Vanguard, um, BlackRock. And BlackRock mostly in Canada. Horizons is doing well. really good too. So like these companies are really making it easy for us investors. They're making it accessible for us. And I think we should take advantage of it because we spend so much time. We're looking for the next hot stock. We're looking for the next thing that's going to make us billionaires and millionaires, but it's not easy. ETFs are definitely the way to go. And I think when I first found out about the three fund portfolio, where it's Mm -hmm. like, imagine that you just build up like one equity portfolio for the U S one equity portfolio for, um, for global, for global and one for Canada or bonds. Yeah. It's just like, it's so that's really where it's just like, wow, it can be so simple. So yeah, it's it's really especially like for newer investors because a yeah. lot of the um, even when you're buying a single company, like there's a lot of um, research you have to do to like before you can just go in and buy something. So for a lot of people, they don't know what they're looking at. They don't know yeah. how to read those um, financial statements and decide for themselves, right? Some mm-hmm. of people just it's herd mentality because some dude at work is buying this, so I'm just gonna buy it. So people don't really know what they're getting into. And then when they lose money, they're like, oh, well, the stock market is like, it's like gambling, like you lose money in it. But that's because they didn't know what they were getting into. So no, yeah. Knowing your business is definitely the the most important part. So, um, but, and, and so, so yeah, let's round off. And uh, I like to ask this to all my guests. What would you say, what would you say are three of the biggest investments that you've proactively made in yourself that helped get you to where you are today? Huh. I would say a lot of, well, the biggest investment for me would be in educating myself, not right. just my formal education, because that's helped me too, but just informal education, reading a lot. I read a lot of books, articles, and just always looking to grow yourself in that way. For me, that's really helped me. Did you say three? <laughs> yeah, three if you can. 
maybe the second one would be just deciding to become more intentional with my finances and paying off debt, obviously, and um, just being more intentional with what I want to do with my money. Um, Yeah. And the third one, (laughs) I can't think of a third one. How about coming to Canada? Maybe, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Deciding to like move here because like that was a really bold move for me, especially at such a young age, not knowing what I was doing, just randomly picking a country out of thin air and be like, okay, I'm just going to move. And no, I literally and did I... no research. I didn't even know what the weather was like. So when I came in, people were like, oh, we have really terrible winters here. I was like, what is that? What's a winter? <laughs> I was like, what is a winter? <laughs> Like I knew there was snow, but I didn't know how bad it was. But yeah, but that has been a great investment for me because like, it's just really helped me like really grow into the career that I wanted to do. And it's just been a great experience for me in general. So yeah, yeah. good. And well, I I think it's a great teacher, like travel in general, going somewhere Mm -hmm. new. It's and and like, like I said earlier, and as you mentioned, just I don't think people realize how difficult it is to uproot your life and go somewhere new. Uh, You know, it's not easy. No. So good for you on and doing that. And I'm glad that you've managed to, uh, to build up the presence online and then you've, um, you know, started your career and and been enjoying yourself so far. So here's to many more years. And do you, what, so what is the, my last question, what is your long-term plan for two sides of a dime? Is that something that you'd like to take full time? Maybe are you just enjoying uh, the fun of it for now? Um, <laughs> for now, I'm just really having fun with it, but um, I do plan to eventually monetize it just because there needs to be like something that gets me to keep going, right? Okay, looking for well, it sounds like you keep so building. Now I'm just right? having fun with it, really. Like, I really like, I don't want this to become a, another job for me, right, I, like, right? I don't want this to become another thing where like okay and now I'm stressing out about it because I'm trying to make money out of it so I still want I want to keep this as like a passion for me and continue to do that my number one goal obviously is to help people I want to be accessible to people because I feel like financial information is really not accessible it's either covered in a lot of jargon or it's really expensive to get to so I want to be accessible and I want to be relatable. I want people to still see me as someone that they can talk to. And like, just that girl, you can like, like, yeah, yeah this is my situation. And I get you. Like I can, I've been there before. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. we'll see where this goes for now. I'm just like taking it slow and just trying to really have fun because there are a lot of really amazing people in, in the finance community. <laughs> yeah. Well, the community has grown so much, especially in the last few years too, even since I joined. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just great to see like the positivity and it's, it's a lesson every day. Yeah. Like, like you mentioned, it people is. can on their breaks instead get educated and see things re- repeated and then instantly they, mm-hmm. yeah, they're learning that way. Um, do you have some resources on your page that you, uh, that you have for people to check out? Not really. <laughs> No, okay. Well, where can people people find you online? Uh, just Instagram for now? Yeah, for now, I'm on Instagram. I do have a podcast, Two Sides of a Dime. We haven't recorded in about a year, but we still have past episodes okay, there that nice. you can listen to. A lot of it is about our debt-free journey as well. And um, I I have a website, twosidesofadime.com. Literally anything, Two Sides of a Dime. <laughs> You'll find you there online. I email twosidesofadime at gmail.com. And I just in the next two weeks will start um, personal coaching. So that's something that a lot of people have been kind of asking me to do. So I finally have decided that I'm going to offer that. So hopefully in the next two weeks, I'll be able to launch that. And yeah, for now, that's all like I, I, how can I forget? I have an Etsy shop. Oh, <laughs> where okay. I have like all of my budget sheets and my template. <laughs> do you want to say that like, whole bit again? I'm like no I'm like okay I have like templates and everything you can use to track your progress I have budget um worksheets debt payoff worksheets so if you're if you're a visual learner like me and you like seeing your progress as you go like I have a lot of that available as well in my Etsy shop I'm um, just google two sides of a dime budget trackers and you'll find all of those um is that in the yeah. link on Instagram too yeah it's on the link on my Instagram okay page. gotcha yeah. Hopefully, I'll help you land your first coaching client. Everyone, her uh, (laughs) edux information will be in the show notes. Yeah.
Well, that's the nature of the internet. I think you put it out there, you never know who's going to find you. So that's the best part. Any last piece of advice uh, before we go? Just start. Like, that's what I like to tell a lot of people. A lot of people, like, they they get stuck in the details and the analysis of it when it comes to debt payoff, saving, investing, whatever it is is that is your financial goal right now. Just start. Like, you can be like my friend and pick a bunch of random stuff. You learn from that. So, like, you can do that. Like, there's no harm in trying. But that's how you learn and that's how you keep going. But just waiting until you're making six figures until you're like in a job that you love or until you move to a certain area or until you get married or whatever it is before you start, it's not a good idea. Just start where you are. Even if it's $10 extra you're paying towards your debt, $10 extra you're paying, you're putting towards your savings, just start. Yeah, it definitely pays off. It adds up. That's a good thing about money. It compounds for you. That little thing that you start doing over time, it adds up. So yeah, just make sure in the positive column, not the negative one. Mm-hmm. That's it. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Eduard. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. And that is it for episode 83, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Edwick. And if you're looking to pay down some debt or potentially looking for a coaching client, you can find her information in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with any friends or like-minded individuals. I just want to help spread the knowledge. And if you wouldn't mind going to leave a review or rating as it really helps out my podcast, it makes it get seen and it helps me bring on higher tier guests, then please go leave a review. I would really appreciate it. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and at anchor.fm slash highly invested. So thank you all again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And this is your host, Jordan Highly signing off. Stay highly invested in yourselves, everybody. Till next time.